What's up, everyone? I'm Katherine Rudder, and this is Life in the Fast Chain. We have another amazing guest on the podcast this week, our man, Laurent de Denis, CEO and co-founder of Chainstack. Am I from France with that pronunciation? <laughs> All joking aside, I'm very clearly American, which is a thorn in my side trying to uh, pronounce everyone's names. Anyways, Chainstack offers managed blockchain services, making it simple to launch and scale decentralized networks and applications. Of course, you know that I have to mention that Corda is among the platforms that the company uses. Whoop, whoop. I hope you guys enjoy this episode of the podcast. On the line with Laurent from Chainstack. Thank you so much for joining me. You're in Singapore, so you are a day ahead of me. Happy Friday. Hi, thank you, Catherine, and thank you very much for having me. I'm, I'm very pleased to uh, join you on the, uh, on the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to have you. Um, how have you been? How is everything over there with COVID? Uh, it's actually very interesting. Uh, Singapore has taken, um, like most Asian countries, uh, you know, in Korea, in Taiwan, has taken uh, very preventive and conservative measures at the very beginning of the COVID. Uh, so we, we've got these feelings that we live a little bit like in, uh, in Disneyland uh, for the past nine months because we have very few cases, um, almost no cases, uh, to be uh, clear. And, uh, you know, everything is more or less open and, you know, people go to work and uh, kids go to school. Uh, the only thing is that you can't really leave Singapore and come back to Singapore freely so you have to quarantine every time you go somewhere and come back from somewhere so it makes travel a little bit uh, troublesome but you know I, I think all in all they, they've done a good job at, at managing the COVID situation yeah yeah I'm sure um, my dog wants to join the podcast as he normally does um, yeah I think it's so interesting especially from my perspective of um, all of our my coworkers, at least in uh, the APAC area and Singapore specifically, travel I feel like is so important. So how are you guys kind of dealing with that? Is it um, is it okay with like video conferencing and everything, or are you itching to travel again? Um, yes, yeah, that, that's actually interesting. I think it created a lot of uh, challenges for many of the startups and, and many of the companies around the world. The, you know, the, the learning process to uh, being able to efficiently communicate, um, as, as we were discussing just before the podcast, using the right audio and the right video so that people can actually see you and feel um, you know, really a bit of the emotion uh, that you lack uh, by not meeting people face to face. So I, I think we had um, some adaptation time. Uh, that was required. Um, Singapore is is a very central place in Asia, um, but most of the customers that we deal with are really outside of Singapore and even Asia. So we we were used to have a lot of calls, you know, late night like you or early morning, <laughs> um, connecting with Europe and connecting with the US. So we we had to do slightly better. We improved, you know, cameras. We we built some banners like like the one you see behind me that looks a little bit more professional than than your wall. And uh, and we tried, you know, we tried our best to to replicate the best environment so that people can actually be interested in what you're saying and and talking to you. Yeah, I have to say you have very good uh, camera quality for people who are listening. There's some nice banners in the background. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it, seems, it seems you've adjusted well. Um, so tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got to Chainstack. 
Um, so I, I come from a very traditional um, IT background. I've been uh, working for software company, uh, mostly B2B software company for my whole life. Uh, part of uh, Part of my career, um, I spent in the U.S. about uh, 10 years uh, in San Francisco and in Boston. And I lived the rest of my uh, professional life in Asia, about uh, 13, 14 years, most of it uh, in Singapore. And um, I first got exposed to blockchain back in uh, the end of 2017. We were uh, working for a um, cybersecurity company, and, and this company was basically looking at how uh, auditability of data and authenticity of data could actually be improved. And, uh, you know, at the time, that was, I think, the, the beginning of blockchain um, adoption from an enterprise perspective, or at least people were trying to find use cases. So we we, we tried to imagine how, um, you know, files uh, could actually be certified or notarized, um, and then how, you know, immutability could actually provide some some interesting aspect in uh, and, and properties that could be used by the enterprise. So that's, that's how we got into the, the concept of blockchain. And Chainstack came... Um, uh, the ID uh, came right after that by basically noticing how difficult it was to build on top of blockchain. So we, we realized that building uh, the underlying infrastructure, uh, running nodes, running network, which is what Chainstack is doing today, um, was actually a, a complex process uh, that required a lot of um, uh, you know optimization and DevOps in order to operate in in an enterprise way. So that that's you know where Chainstack came from, and we created the company in 2018. We funded it, and you know here we are uh, three years later. We just launched version 2.0, which is uh, you know, kind of in line with, with this idea we had of how we could help the enterprise and provide managed services for, for networks, um, including R3 and Corda. Yeah, I feel like that's so important because especially with companies who are just kind of starting their blockchain journey, I feel like it can be a little intimidating. So uh, would you say that you're like helping companies kind of get started and like kind of find their footing in like the enterprise blockchain space? Yeah, I think we we look at ourselves as an enabler. Um, uh, uh, I think at the at the very beginning, uh, I think you use the word intimidating. I, I think the the uh, I think people probably misunderstood, and many companies misunderstood uh, the extent of what blockchain can do and what it requires to do all these things. And at the beginning, I think you had a very wide gap between what people expected blockchain to be able to deliver in a very short period of time, uh, which was probably not very realistic. And, and now we have slowly come down and narrowed down this gap. And now people know that in order to run a successful uh, blockchain project that delivers value, uh, for a particular enterprise in a particular space, in a particular use case, as narrow as it is, you need all the components that a traditional enterprise would require. You need a stack, you need an infrastructure, you need data center, you need people to manage it, and then you need your application to work and perform and scale. And in many ways, blockchain is becoming a mainstream um, you know, part of the IT industry, By and, and we're one of these components helping you know, blockchain use cases and projects <clears throat> in pre-production and in production to scale and, and really deliver what they were promising many years ago. So it took a few years. I know. I think it's, yeah, it's very interesting talking to people who are really um, deep in the blockchain and uh, distributor space, um, just because there was that hype cycle where everyone was like, blockchain is going to solve everything. And then there are kind of companies and people like you who are like, yeah, I could do a lot, but like, let's just like try and sort out the 
the uh, intricacies of the technology, which um, I think is a pretty unique perspective on your part with the enterprise innovation. Um, so how would you say that you would fit blockchain with existing infrastructure or legacy systems? Uh, absolutely. I think this was, um, I mean, this was clear to us from, from the beginning. My, a, a large part of my background comes from um, uh, uh, working on large ERPs and, and CRM system. And uh, and you know the, the complexity of such systems and um, what they deliver in terms of data, etc., is very similar to um, the way some of the processes um, we're trying to improve with you know particular blockchain or, or DLT uh, projects and 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 companies. Uh, I think at the very very beginning when we started working with blockchain, the first two or three uh, interactions that we had were all connected to very large companies with very large ERPs. Uh, feeding data into the blockchain from a transaction standpoint and basically using this transaction into um, you know a new way or a different ways to basically record them and share them and uh, so it's clear uh, that blockchain is not separate right i mean in many ways people look at blockchain as as a standalone uh, it is absolutely not a standalone. I mean, the biggest yeah. value of blockchain will be delivered through the decentralization and the connection and integration with other systems. And, and that's the value, uh, I think, that we are missing today. I mean, you still have a lot of effort uh, in order to connect all these systems together. Yeah, yeah. I think it'll be interesting because you're right. Like, people kind of look at it then as standalone rather than working together. Um, especially with emerging technologies, just generally. Um, would you say that 2020, the year that we've had, which has been a crazy year, now we're finally in 2021, which is good, but things are still a crazy. Um, but would you say that 2020 has accelerated enterprise adoption? Um, yeah, I I think it. I think from from our standpoint, and and you know, with the visibility we have, with the people that we work with, our partner or customer, uh, I think what we notice are really two things, right? The first thing is these gaps that I was talking about between you know the maybe the, the level of expectation of what blockchain was meant to be and and what some people were trying to do and what was really possible to do as as narrowed down, right? And I think now, as I guess for most crises and and you know. The, the time during crisis, people tend to refocus. They tend to be um, more limited in terms of maybe funding. Um, you know, it's harder to, uh, people are more conservative. So things move not as fast. So it, it basically narrowed down use cases. And I think set of expectation now when we talk to, um, you know, potential or prospective customer, especially, uh, I think what they're trying to do is very reasonable. Right. So I think 2020 has become a more reasonable ground, uh, I think, um, uh, for us to, to deliver a solution. And the second thing that 2020 did is we saw um, um, really large companies, which I think were are the core of what we're trying to do, um, really moving from uh, having you know, a lot of those uh, POCs, et cetera. And I, I know in 2018, 2018, you know, people already had these POCs, but I mean, these POCs became more real. I think we have almost every day now and every week, you have people moving from whatever they used to do on pre-production to production, even though it's small scale. And uh, and I think that's a very that's a very good sign. So narrowing down expectation and, and basically clearly defining the use case that, that are being implemented, especially in large 
we we have a lot of banks, you know, together with our three, uh, working together with us. And and I think clearly now they 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 go beyond, um, far beyond what they were doing in 2019. And and I think it's a, it's a very good news. Yeah. Would you say it just? I've had a few um, startups and companies on the podcast saying that. 2020 and COVID has been obviously terrible and it's impacted everyone in, in such negative ways. But from the business perspective, uh, I've had a few startups and companies say like, yes, this has been awful, obviously. However, from a business perspective, a lot of people are now like, oh, we need to be more serious about digital transformation and we need to be more um, kind of looking into different solutions moving forward because we can't kind of stick to the old old ways of doing things. Would you say that's the case for you guys? Have you gotten a little bit more attention because of people having to put their like digital first or um, or not? No, I- no, absolutely. I think you're you're right. Uh, I think it probably we we experimented to two things. So first, the ecosystem, um, I think, um, uh, in some way became uh, more aware and also more willing to change. Right. I think you you can see this. It's impacting blockchain every day. Like regulation, regulators um, um, have changed uh, probably faster. I, I think uh, people have realized. Um, you know that that the world we used to live in um, maybe cannot um, cannot uh, um, how should I say this? Uh, cannot continue in the exact same way. So digital uh, transformation is basically helping him to to adapt to it, right? I mean, people are talking about um, I don't know um, uh, medical passports so that people could travel. You know, blockchain could be part of this. I don't think it could be the entire solution, but blockchain could be part of this. We're talking about uh, trade finance. Um, you know, when people can travel or or travel less, you know, trade finance and processes optimization becomes extremely important. So again, I mean, all these things can actually clearly be helped, and and it pushed people to change, which is a very good news, and and we're very pleased about this. And the second thing that it created is, I think it created better conditions. Um, because people have been more focused. In fact, I, I personally believe that people were working more because they were, um, I, I don't know, like maybe more efficient and more effective because they were not traveling. I mean, certainly I was traveling 80% of my time before, 70%. And I've done more this year than last year, for sure. And uh, that's true for projects, that's true for large companies that probably cut uh, a lot of the time that you know employees were basically uh, spending going to uh, the office and, and traveling to other locations and they optimize this and, and I think many of the projects accelerated and, and went a lot faster than what we saw in 2019. I think it's a good news. Yeah, no, I agree. I've seen that with a lot of our partners and and just generally and I, I say this kind of biting my tongue because I really want to travel again. We <laughs> <laughs> yeah. want to be able to be out in different places. So I'm kind of biting my time, but I do, I do agree. It's been pretty remarkable, especially when it's not just like if you would, for us uh, at our three, luckily we can work from, it's, it's a good work from home um, situation, but when you're actually forced to, and you have all these things you have to do, I've, I've found myself to be very efficient. And I think um, I've said this before, but if we're in this like new digital age and we're supposed to be working in emerging tech, if we can't adjust to this digital age, then who can? So it's good to see, and I love I love hearing from startups and, and other companies in our ecosystem talking about how they've actually done really well working from home. Um, so what are barriers that consortia enterprises and innovators 
face at different stages of their blockchain journey, do you think? Um, so I think there, there are many, many barriers. Um, some of them they can control and some of them they can't, right? So the ones that they can't really control uh, clearly are regulation, compliance. Uh, I think this is uh, clearly something that everyone is aware of, um, whether on the DeFi space and the fintech space related with blockchain, or whether you're looking at a particular regulation at the local level, preventing maybe financial institution or insurance companies uh, to behave in, in particular way with regard to data or transaction. Um, I think you had a lot of uh, good news in 2020 around this. Uh, a lot of, uh, um, you know, uh, OCC uh, is a good you know, recent example, but you have a lot of uh, countries um, like uh, Singapore, like the US, like uh, France, like Korea, that have, uh, I think, created conditions uh, for innovation and for acceleration of innovation in, in this process. So I think that that's really one of the barriers that hopefully is going to become easily to 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 easy to handle uh, as a you know uh, as the market developed. Um, then I think that there is a part that we're in, which is basically the infrastructure and, and what you need to really run, uh, efficient networks. Um, and this should not be underestimated. We, we are only part of the solution. We're only you know, a chain stack, we manage services, uh, but you also need the right um, uh, physical infrastructure, cloud infrastructure. Uh, you have a lot of uh, requirements to be matched, a lot of work to be done so that this infrastructure is ready. Uh, a lot of the things we do, especially with Corda, are hybrid, right, in between physical and uh, and and private cloud and, and of course, public cloud deployment. Uh, they're complex to manage and complex for any companies to put together. It's also time consuming because it requires, you know, authorization and compliance, et cetera. And then you need, um, uh, I think, a booming um, uh, ecosystem of startups that build amazing applications. And, and I think this is still missing, right? Uh, I think R3 is a good example. You guys created uh, with Venture, um, um, you know, a, a large a number of, of startups that are uh, basically building on top of Coda. Um, I think you can, you know, you can always always do more, right? There are more applications needed. Uh, we also need to understand how these applications will work together or they can actually scale. Um, so that it makes sense. So those three parts, there are some other parts, but I think those three parts are important, right? The, the compliance regulation on one hand, uh, the infrastructures that can scale, because ultimately the value of blockchain is only in the, you know, in the size of the network and, yeah. and the nef network effect can only be felt. Trade finance is a good example if you would have thousands of trade finance partners connecting. And today it's not a reality, you know, that does not exist yet, right? And then you need you know, people building applications that are interesting for the enterprise that can actually add value in, you know, many different areas, in securities, uh, in, you know, in capital market, in trade finance, in supply chain finance, but also in the rest of the market, right? Improving inventory, improving processes, supply chain, etc. And this is still missing a little bit, I think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And you also touched on um, like partners and just like an ecosystem. I feel like that is definitely very important, especially in the space, um, having partners and having this this thriving ecosystem, um, at least. And you also mentioned the venture development program and having those startups. I think it's really good having those connections between either startups or bigger companies and, and all that, um, to your point. But um Tell me a little bit about your partnership with R3. And I don't really like to harp on just like, well, don't you don't have to tell us like R3 is the greatest. 
Um, but your partnership with R3 and also using Corda. Um, so we we work with Corda since almost uh, day one, right? I mean, I think we launched our first uh, Corda support at CordaCon in the middle of 2018, uh, yeah. in October 2018. So we were working with Corda since uh, early 2018. And today, um, we basically provide managed services globally. Uh, so we, we work with um, uh, GCP, Azure, AWS, and we also provide hybrid deployment, as I, as I mentioned, for uh, Corda open source, for Corda enterprise, and uh, also for Corda network. And uh, yeah. we worked with, um, you know, the people at the foundation to uh, basically try to make the onboarding on Corda as a partner, as a builder, and as a customer as easy as possible. So that, that's what we've done. Um, so that's why we had the opportunity to meet with many, you know, many people in, in Corda all the way, you know, to uh, David and, and going down to the technical team, people in the foundation. And, uh, and I think it was... Uh, probably <laughs> the easiest journey among the difficult journey we had um, just because uh, I think Astro is organized as a more traditional company. Uh, so you can find people that, you know, answer your email and support you in a way, um, you know, a traditional company would do it. Um, and because we come from this space, because we, you know, we come from the traditional IT space, you know, it, it was uh, easier uh, to work. I think um, we, we, we support also multiple version of Corda. Our, our goal is to you know, create consistency. And we also had great support from you guys, making sure that this could happen, right? I mean, the, the frequency of the release of Corda has increased uh, quite drastically in the past uh, uh, 12 months, uh, 14 months. And um, that also creates challenges for customers, right? Customers that start building on older version, how do they upgrade application? What are the implications of these upgrades? How do you operationally uh, manage and orchestrate uh, these for customer? And the bigger your network, uh, the bigger the challenges, right? Um, yeah. So uh, I think we're facing now more, which is a good news, right? We're facing more uh, common challenges of, of an IT uh, groups uh, within uh, enterprise or, or a regular software company, which is probably a, a good sign. And um, and um, I think we also worked with you uh, quite a bit, you know, at Cordacon. So we were partner with you guys this year. Uh, so of course, having a virtual Cordacon is not as, as exciting, right? And and I'm sure you know you guys will you know will do even better next year. Uh, it was not easy to organize virtual events this year. Um, so I, I think we, you know, we try to work with your venture team <clears throat> as much as we can uh, because we we are first and and foremost um, a developer platform, right? Where people come, they've never heard of Corda, or they want to build an application on Corda, or they're a little bit more advanced and they want to build. They come to Chainstack and they basically can deploy a node extremely easily. It takes a few minutes. Uh, it's very transparent. The node is going to be managed. It's going to be easy for them to to basically access it, build on top of it, and manage it. And so, in that respect, you know, we see an, we see us as enabler of this ecosystem. So, um, hopefully, we we do a good job. I mean, we 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 certainly have a lot of uh, your your customer uh, working with us. Yeah. Well, obviously, too, it's 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 very obvious, especially to like a layperson like myself, who I'm not going to just like jump into Corda and be able to make an app. Uh, it's it's obvious like how important your services are for. So when you make it easier to kind of jump in um, and the services are obviously super important, but like you said, Corticon this year, ugh, it was virtual. It was, I think it was a successful 
experience just in that we didn't really know what we were doing and it ended up being great and we had a lot of registrants and, and people watching but I'm really hoping that we can get to at least like a semi-virtual semi-in-person Corticon experience next year because I love Corticon every year it's like my it's of like course my- of course <laughs> But I think in many ways, I mean, my simple observation about it is, is I mean, uh, you have some analogy between blockchain and, co- and, and the virtual event. I mean, uh, I'll share briefly, but um, I mean, we attended quite a bit of virtual events this year. And, and clearly, those virtual events had been built uh, from a platform standpoint and, and support standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, um, a little bit like you would build a second life uh, type of project. You know, those games where you have your avatar uh, that replace you in this virtual world. And, and clearly, people thought that people would go to virtual events in the same way as they would go to um, a physical event. And the truth of the matter is, no, actually, you, you don't hang around the virtual expo for like six hours drinking coffee with people virtually. You just don't do this. And uh, I think a lot of the platform coming in the next few years will will probably address this and will actually change the experience by making it virtual and not trying to replicate physical to virtual. And in some way, you know, this is also what people were trying to do with blockchain a couple of years ago. They, They were actually trying to fit blockchain in in places where you know, blockchain was not required or, or a traditional legacy application would for sure do better. Uh, so I think this is maybe what changed, you know, like like now it's good sign. So we are more mature than the virtual event uh, market, which is good. <laughs> that is good. It's a good comparison. I will say too, like we were lucky. I think honestly, we had like a month or two after a lot of big virtual events where we kind of saw where things weren't really going like so great. But at the end of the day, and this is purely my perspective, this is not a reflection on R3 or Corticon or whatever, but if I were to attend an event, I don't think I would go to a, like a, can I get in trouble for saying this? No, I don't think I can. I personally don't think I would go to like a virtual booth or something because it's not the same. I would like to go and like have a coffee and sit down with someone and see them at their booth. But if like I could just download a, a brochure or something or whatever, uh, instead, I would probably do that. And I think a lot of the lessons learned were like, okay, this is how you can replicate an event and you can make it virtual and you can make it interactive and whatever. And this is also what you shouldn't do. And I think you're so right. It's a very good comparison. And at the time, especially in, in past years, we're still trying to figure out how to use blockchain with existing infrastructure, how to make it work, how to make it mold. Um, so that's a great connection between <laughs> virtual <laughs> events see? in-person events. It's like drop them. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> um, so what is next for Chainstack? What are you guys kind of looking to the future? It's 2021, moving past hopefully this uh this uh, pandemic, what what's next? So for us, um, so we 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 build we build the vision of Chainstack back at the end of 2017, 2018, and um, and and the vision was very clear, right? The vision the vision was to provide a platform that would be enterprise grade, and uh, that would provide reliability, scalability, and security, and essentially the set of managed services that would be required for any uh, uh, builder, developer, and enterprise to basically run networks. And I think we're about halfway through this vision now. 
Um, I think it will take about four years uh, to deliver the complete vision, right? You, you don't build, uh, you know, such platform in, in such very short of time, but short period of time. Uh, mm -hmm. But with version 2.0, I think we, we finally are at the agnosticity level and, and the flexibility level we wanted to provide the enterprise in terms of choosing how they deploy, right? Um, this combination of uh, public cloud requirement and private cloud requirement and on-prem requirement, especially in, in the context of Corda, where a lot of uh, Corda customers are regulated customers that need to comply to local, regional, or global regulation um, is extremely important. So now we are at this stage where we can basically tell you know, a bank, um, you know, we, you know, choose your cloud and choose your own private cloud or choose your prem, right? And and I think it's, uh, um, it took two and a half years of development work to do this and to orchestrate this, to provision it properly. Um, not everything is perfect yet, but we, the solution is has reached level of maturity, uh, which I think is, is good. And for us this year, it's all about how we can actually leverage this um, that was a big request from many of the people we, we talked to in 2020. And, and I think we are at this stage now where we should see, you know, a slightly more, I'm not going to say mass adoption, but I, I'm going to say a more significant adoption. So that's one part. And then the second part is uh, managed services is, is not a new business, right? Managed services, and I'm sure it's maybe the boring part of the blockchain because no one wants to know about, you know, how orchestration and DevOps, but the reality is that someone has to do it. So um, basically, managed services is a set of very complex services. Yeah, I mean, you know, from the time you, you basically provide some level of management all the way to a full managed services, uh, uh, monitoring, uh, reporting, etc. It's it's you know the scope is is very wide, and we have you know implemented a lot of new features in the past weeks uh, months uh, that actually make us happy uh, from a from a completeness of the of the service that that we provide so for us this year it's all about onboarding um, hopefully one of the first network that will uh, scale right I, I think we we still need this validation of having you know, a network running with hundreds of nodes and onboarding hundreds of partners. I'm not talking about thousands, I'm talking about hundreds. And I'm confident that 2021 will be will be the time where we're going to see this. I hope, uh, you know, Chainstack can be part of this story because that's, that's really what we have built the platform for for the last three years. Yeah, Rome wasn't built in a day. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, you're very right. <laughs> <laughs> also, what you you what you're doing is also very helpful for people getting involved in in the blockchain space. So, uh, managed services is obviously so important, um, and I'm sure you guys are going to have continued success in 2021. Um, thank you Touch so much thank for you. joining me today. I loved learning a little bit more about Chainstack and what you guys are doing and what we're looking forward to. Uh, it seems like you have a very busy 2021. <laughs> All right, Catherine, thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's, it was a pleasure talking to you. And, uh, and I really appreciate your time. I'm sure we'll, you know, we'll have the opportunity to finally travel back and, and you know, um, uh, meet each other. Very soon. I hope, I really, really hope, as soon, soon, I need to keep optimistic. I'm really hoping for maybe like half virtual, half in-person Corticon. I'm keeping my head <laughs> up, but, uh, but if not, then, then we'll meet again at uh, the next Corticon. Thank you so much, Laura. All right, looking forward to it. Thank you very much, Kajun.
for listening to this episode of Life in the Fast Chain. As always, be sure to follow us on social media and share the podcast. Bonus points if you rate it, because that will make my heart sing, but only if it's nice. Um, But if you do want to be rude, I'm not telling you not to. I would just prefer you don't clog up the Apple ratings or wherever you listen to your podcast. If you want to be rude, I welcome it. Um, Directly tweet at me at Bread and Rudder. Go for it. Uh, I do love a good mean tweet. Um, But yeah, please don't clog up my ratings on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. Um, I beg of you. Okay. All from me. Talk to you next time. Bye.